this situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my win. This is going to be my annual, uh, I don't know, uh, what the hell are we going to call it, um, appeal to Major League Baseball, a sport that I believe has a superior history to that of the National Football League, the National Basketball Association, the National Hockey League. To me, any sport in the world, if you look back at the history of baseball, it's um, you go from A to Z, honoring the great players, the great teams, the great moments, the great contributors, but yet it's Hall of Fame lacks the interest in wanting to honor the greatest players. Now this weekend you're going to find out if anybody in the Veterans Committee from the Veterans Committee vote, basically a series of managers and executives and uh, other people with impacts on the game, are, you know, can maybe add another person or two to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, I'll talk for a minute specifically about the players. If we're going to get into the ballot from this year, and I've made this statement before, the best goal or the best that baseball can do in honoring its sport by best representing its history, good or bad, is to honor the greatest players to have ever played the sport. Baseball really up until the decision to blackball Pete Rose. Probably prior to that, the decision to include Joe Jackson and made an example out of him when it came to the White Sox uh, throwing of the World Series in 1919, baseball's been on a spiral. A spiral that if you listen to my show last week when we talk about Kennesaw Mountain, Landis, that continues to have a hypocrisy in their picking and choosing on how to implement this quote-unquote character clause, which I never believe exists in a sport. If Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who basically said, and I'm repeating what I said on my last show and I've said on several other PBSs before, if Kennesaw Mountain Landis can say a black player will play on a white with a, with a white player on a baseball field in my Major League Baseball, it'll happen over my dead body and literally did, if that person could be honored in the Baseball's Hall of Fame for their contributions that may have been different from that, maybe separate from that, but he still has that on his record. A racist, he went out of his way to base, basically segregate baseball and make sure baseball stayed segregated while he was still alive. If that's a Baseball Hall of Famer, then I have no problem putting players that are implicated with steroids in a Hall of Fame. I don't have problems with putting Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame for his association with gambling, Joe Jackson, and you could talk about his minuscule role on the Black Sox scandal, and if you wanted to hold Joe Jackson out of the Hall of Fame, you could say, hey, he was on that team number one, and whatever. Maybe he received some money, maybe he didn't, but he didn't follow through on a fix like Eddie Seacott did. He didn't follow through on a fix like Chick Gandal and Swede Reisberg, who I have insisted are the ringleaders of the Black Sox scandal of 1919 without them putting it together with the idea. Yes, they needed to include the others in it. Eddie Seacott, Lefty Williams were just as important, 
but it doesn't happen without the bitterness of Chick Gandel and Swede Reisberg. But I stay regressed the best way I can. Baseball Hall of Fame ballot this year. You want to start to right this wrong? You put Alex Rodriguez in a Hall of Fame this year. You put Manny Ramirez in a Hall of Fame this year. You put Carlos Beltran and Adrian Beltre in a Hall of Fame who have no ties to steroids but are deserved Hall of Famers. And you put Gary Sheffield in a Hall of Fame this year. Now, there are other players that are going to get consideration. And I've said this before. One of the things that holds the Baseball Hall of Fame back and is making the Baseball Hall of Fame look worse I believe that there's a separation from the museum and the Hall of Fame process. And when I say the Hall of Fame process, I said it's led by, we're talking about ringleaders here, ringleaders Bud Selig and Jane Forbes Clark, who want to pick and choose how their Hall of Fame should look and exactly who should be in and who shouldn't be, when that shouldn't be their friggin' business. Bud Selig presided over the steroids era. He is in the Hall of Fame because... He's making a decision of who's getting in the Hall of Fame and who isn't. He's influencing in several ways the biasness of the media and why certain players are not allowed in and why entire generations of baseball players are being ignored. And I have a problem with this. If you ha haven't heard the last 707 past ball shows, you know i got a freaking issue with this. When you're holding out or decide to hold out an entire generation of baseball players, you're making the decision that players with less qualifications, less impact on the game of baseball, and a watered-down version of the best are getting into the Hall of Fame. Harold Baines getting into the Hall of Fame was not Harold Baines' fault. It was the decision to exclude the steroids era players. If Barry Bonds was in a Hall of Fame, Harold Baines would not be. If Rafael Palmeiro was in a Baseball Hall of Fame, maybe Scott Rowland wouldn't be yet. But this is what we're voting on. We're voting for what I have is 10 players here that aren't the ones that I just named. Maybe Beltran gets in. Maybe Beltre gets in. They're both deserved. But now we're voting on Billy Wagner and Todd Helton and maybe even with a line underneath Andrew Jones, Andy Pettit, Omar Vizquel, who all I believe were very good players. Wagner, I believe, is still a Hall of Famer. One of the most dominant relief pitchers in the history of the game. Was he Mariano Rivera? No. But in a new age of relief pitchers that go out there and throw their max effort for one inning, he is a representation of what a dominant pitcher that strikes out a ton of dudes and gets saves in a world where, you know, saves is an actual stat that somebody gives a shit about. But I, there's a place for Billy Wagner in the Hall of Fame. I think there's a place for Todd Helton in the Hall of Fame, especially the fact that he got 72% of the vote last year. We should be worried about why A-Rod isn't in, why Manny Ramirez isn't in, why Gary Sheffield isn't in. Three players to hit well over 500 home runs. Alex Rodriguez hits 696. Over the merit of his stats, there's no reason he shouldn't be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but because of partially politics and partially this self-proclaimed character clause that, like I said, with Kennesaw Mountain Landis and Bud Selig being in the Hall of Fame alone, 
is showing a hypocrisy because they don't care about the characters of Kennesaw Mountain Landis and Bud Selig. They don't care about the characters of supposedly Ty Cop. They don't care about the character of Cap Anson. They don't care about the character of Rogers Hornsby. Where you could come up with a list of baseball Hall of Famers that are not necessarily good people. But that's not what they're being judged by. They're being judged by their stats. They're being judged by the track record of their freaking baseball careers. Were they good players? Because that's what the Baseball Hall of Fame should be honoring. Good players. And it's already a hypocrisy when you say character matters. Character doesn't matter. Because if it character mattered, Kennesaw Mountain Landis and Bud Selig would not be in the freaking Hall of Fame. Rogers Hornsby would not be in the Hall of Fame. Cap Anson would not be in the Hall of Fame. And he could go on and on about players and executives and contributors to the game of baseball that may not have been the best people. But that's not what the Hall of Fame is about. It's about honoring the best to ever play. Alex Rodriguez was. Barry Bonds was. Roger Clemens was. They belong in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And with all due respect to Billy Wagner and Todd Helton and Andrew Jones and Armar Vizquel and Andy Pettit. And then if you want to make a case for Joe Maurer and David Wright and Chase Sutley and Matt Holliday and Adrian Gonzalez. Maybe some other day. It's up to the sport of baseball to get its Hall of Fame right. Because there's no other sport that has chosen to find other things that had nothing to do with baseball stats or sports stats. To hold back deserved representatives of the greatness of the individual sport. Veterans Committee. Eight nominees. Do I believe hands down there's a Hall of Famer in there? No. But if I had a choice, I'd go with Jim Leland. Jim Leland for this reason. Jim Leland, World Series championship with the Marlins, two-time World Series uh, appearances or whatever, got to the World Series, pennant winners with the Detroit Tigers. I always think of what could have been with the Pittsburgh Pirates. 90, 91, 92, they go out there, they win the National League East, fall a little short in the NLCS three years in a row. Barry Bonds leaves as a free agent eventually. Bobby Bonilla leaves first. That team that was, I think, destined to be successful for a couple more years is dismantled right in front of them. All of a sudden, the Pittsburgh Pirates, with the history of Roberto Clemente and Willie Stargell and Dave Parker, and obviously going back before that, Hannes Wagner and Pie Trainer and the Wainer Brothers, known as a great franchise, a world-renowned baseball franchise, one of the all-time franchises in sport, all of a sudden, their owner doesn't want to pay players, and they go into the shitter for several years. It's not the fault of Jim Leland, but I always wonder if Jim Leland had Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla and Doug Drabeck and that squad for a couple more years. Do they win a World Series championship there? And it's not his fault that all of a sudden he's got a shit roster. It's not a, his fault that after the Marlins win the World Series in 1997, they tear it down and he's got to manage that team. He goes to the Colorado Rockies who have no interest in winning. 
I thought this was a manager that if he was given some better teams, he could have won a couple more World Series championships. And I kind of say that when I talk about Davey Johnson, who I think should get discussion when it comes to being a base, uh, baseball Hall of Fame manager, won a World Series championship with the Mets, inherited much better teams, inherited a building Mets team that he knew a little bit about because he was the manager in AAA Tywater prior to the 1984 season, inherited a really good team there, won a World Series championship, probably could have won more. Goes to teams like the Reds and the Dodgers and the Orioles. All very well equipped to win. Didn't win there. Maybe not necessarily his fault. But he's got a winning record because he consistently inherited good teams. You know, the Nationals. I liked what he did with the Nationals in a couple of years he was there when he took over for Jim Riggleman. You put Davey Johnson in a Hall of Fame, I got no issue with it. I feel like Jim Leland is Davey Johnson without the really good teams that he inherited. Now, he inherited, remember, the Detroit Tigers. He wins with them, gets to the World Series twice. But that was a team that lost, what, 119 games just a couple of years before he got there? A team that was rebuilding? He got them up and going. A rebuilding Pirates team, which he, he took under his wing, got the three straight National League East titles and you know NLCS appearances. You know, Marlins team, yes, he inherited that was stacked. But also you saw what happens when you take all the talent away. I just think you're looking at, if, if you're looking at wins and losses when you're judging Davey Johnson and Jim Leland, I don't know if it's necessarily a fair enough comparison. I think both should be in the Hall of Fame. But if I have to choose one, I would go Jimmy Leland over Davey Johnson. And the only person on this other committee of, uh, you know, whatever, eight contributors to the game, managers, umpires, executives, Bill White. Now, you know, longtime, you know, National League president was a very integral part of some Cardinals teams, broadcaster, really good player, obviously had to face uh, racism and hate, you know, at a time where Jim Crow was pretty prominent throughout the country. I like Bill White as a Hall of Famer. He gets in. I got no issue. Hank Peters, I thought was a pretty good executive, but... I don't, I don't feel like blown away. I don't feel like him being out of the Hall of Fame is a travesty. Uh, can explain it to me a little better if you think he is. Luke Pinella, good manager. But, you know, if you're not putting Billy Martin in the Hall of Fame, what are we putting Luke Pinella in for? And I know Luke Pinella won a World Series championship with the Reds. Was the best manager the Seattle Mariners had in their history. You know, had that ability to get more out of players. Managed in Tampa Bay, which had to be tough. You know, inherited a better squad with the Cubs, right? So, you know, didn't really win there. I don't know. I put him in a category, let's say, below that of Leland and Davey. But that's my opinion. Well, like I said, if there's a manager that should be in the Hall of Fame that isn't, it's Billy Martin. And I'll continue to try to make the case for him. Every team that he took over, some were in, in more dire straits than others, they got better. The demand was there. The shelf life of Billy Martin lasting as a major league manager was not really that long, but those teams got better. They became winners. That's what the Baseball Hall of Fame should be about. What dude's going to take over a squad? If I got a shit team and I want to get the most out of it, I'm hiring, Davey, I'm, I'm hiring Billy Martin as my manager over Davey Johnson, over Jim Leland. Like I said, Davey Johnson... 
benefits over inheriting really good teams. And maybe he was more picky about the jobs that he took, especially after he left the Mets. Hey, I'm not going to take a job where the expectation is going to be to lose. I'm not going to take over a rebuilding squad. Some people are just like that. Now it's time for saving sports history. As we feel like we're the program here, and we, I mean I, nobody gives a shit about sports history. And that's what we do here in the Passball Show. I do. We talk about ways of saving it by honoring the history of sport. So today is the second day of December 2023. Everything that I'm going to talk about now will have happened or have some ties to the day of December 2nd. We start going back to the year of 1907. There was a heavyweight champion by the name of Tommy Burns. While he stands out, he is the only Canadian heavyweight champion in the history of the sport of boxing. On this day, he knocks out a dude by the name of Gunnar Noir in the 10th round to retain the heavyweight title. One of his 11 title defenses. One of the more underrated heavyweights. Anybody that defends his title 11 times deserves a little more respect when it comes to the sport of boxing. 1916, the National Baseball Commission decides, ready for this? They decide that injured players should get paid for the duration of their contract. How about this? You know, and, and, and you talk about the year of 1916 and say that hey, maybe we were behind in times. But imagine any professional sport. Or imagine anybody with a, a job. And I know there's some jobs out there that if you, you get sick or if you get injured and you can't perform your job duties, they can just let you go. It's good to have unions. It's good to have, you know, standard rights that exist when it comes to certain forms of employment. But it just shows the, the levity of what the baseball owners who were controlling the sport and the lack of rights they had an, ish, an interest in giving its respective players. You know, listen, you, you, you go out there as a pitcher and you throw 300 innings a season for three years in a row, you sign a contract for the next couple years, and all of a sudden your arm falls off, and then they say, hey, your, your arm fell off. We're going to stop paying you. Well, isn't it the teams, doesn't the team have some responsibility in what led to the injury? So, good move by baseball. Obviously, they still had a long way to go at this point in regards to giving the players their due right. But they decide at this point they're going to pay players to the duration of their agreed contracts, even if they get hurt. December 2nd, 1941. The New York Baseball Giants. Hire player manager Mel Ott replaces Bill Terry. If you find, uh, you know, eventually Leo DeRocher replaces Mel Ott down the road. Refers to Ott. We say, hey, Mel Ott's a lot, a nice guy. Nice guy has finished last. You know, there's that quote that DeRocher is always known for. Mel Ott, by the way, one of the more prolific power hitters in the history of the sport. 511 home runs. And you could talk about the dimensions of the polo grounds where he played his home games in, which I could feed, I could feel some of that uh, rebuttal. He still went out there and did it. At a time at a time where players did not hit a ton of home runs, he went out there and hit 511. You know, there was a time where you looked at Jimmy Fox and you looked at Babe Ruth, and there was nobody else in the history of Major League Baseball that had more home runs than Mel Ott. Just Babe Ruth. And Jimmy Fox. 
1951, Don Hudson. is number 14, is retired by the Green Bay Packers, the first player in the history of that prestigious franchise to have their number retired. The first real wide receiver in football history. A dude that just was able to line up, catch passes, as the game's kind of changing during that time. Obviously, a, many, a several-time Green Bay Packer NFL champion. One of the better players that played in a sport that we don't hear a lot talk, spoken about, Don Hudson. He's number 14, retired by the Packers on this day in 1951. Dan Marino in 1984. You've heard me talk about how Dan Marino is so incredibly underrated. Dan Marino's ability, his arm strength, his ability to play quarterback and throw was something that was well ahead of his time, would fit perfectly into the game of football as it was played today. Unfortunately, the majority, if not all of Dan Marino's career, was not played with that style of play. That's why when he sets the NFL record with his 37th touchdown pass on his day in 1984 on his way to 48, it was one of the better accomplishments that a quarterback had in the history of the sport. Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. I think that is a major strike against him. But when you're talking about somebody that was so far ahead of his peers, maybe was one of the best of maybe was the best of all time up to his point in play, which you could reasonably make a case. I think is he is criminally underrated as far as how great of a quarterback he was. 1985, just a year later, we're talking about the Chicago Bears losing a game to Marino's Miami Dolphins. The only loss that the Bears would have during their Super Bowl season of 1985. What's interesting about this is that head coach Mike Ditka and defensive coordinator Buddy Ryan nearly come to blows over a dispute over whatever's played, offense, defense. You know what Buddy Ryan was about. Obviously, later on, you'd know about him throwing a punch, trying to hit Kevin Gilbride when Gilbride was the offensive coordinator of the Houston Oilers and Ryan was the defensive coordinator of the same team. Just, you know, you know, you know what Buddy Ryan was about. And one of the best statements that could be attributed to Buddy Ryan is his acknowledgement of how important the quarterback was in the sport. The, if the offense was going to go out of their way to protect the quarterback, if the quarterback was going to be the centripetal force, the most important figure of a given offense, then he was going to do everything he can from the defensive side of the ball to make that quarterback's life tough. And even to a point where it might be over the line. He may have told players to try to hurt the quarterback. You take the quarterback out, they obviously don't have somebody as good to back him up. And that was Buddy Ryan's mantra. 1991, Bobby Bonilla. And if everybody talks about July 1st being Bobby Bonilla Day, and many of you understand why in his stupid contract, and probably one of the most overspoken about things that, listen, it just happens, dude. You, you put different things in contracts, and people get paid for different reasons. I don't think it's as significant as most of the general public makes it out to be, but he makes a decision today in 1991 to take the Mets and their offer to make him the highest paid player in baseball, five years, $29 million. He joins the Mets, 1992. Turns out to be the worst team money can buy. Now, the Mets tried to beat that again in 2002, just 10 years later. And maybe at some point they're trying to beat it right now. Who knows? That's for another show. 1993, the Houston Rockets tie the NBA record 
for the most consecutive wins to start the season. They start out 15 and 0. 1995, Patrick Waugh is embarrassed by his coach, Mario Tremblay, who I thought this was a terrible job. I've spoken about this before. Um, one of the greatest players to ever play in a sport. Certainly one of the top two goalies to ever play in a sport. Is left out there for nine goals and an 11-1 defeat by his coach. Demands a trade, gets traded to Colorado and wins the Stanley Cup. Born on his day, on December 2nd, Deacon White, a very underrated Major League catcher, part of the Baseball Hall of Fame, 1800s, was born on his day in 1847. Gary che I'm sorry, Jerry Cheevers, one of the better hockey goalies in the history of the sport, had his most success in a World Hockey Association, but was a two-time Stanley Cup winner with the Boston Bruins, was born on this day in 1940. So was Willie Brown, three-time Super Bowl winning quarterback with the Oakland Raiders, born on this day in 1940. 1973, nine-time Grand Slam tennis player, Monica Seles. And one of my favorite tennis players growing up, born on this day in 1973. And Super Bowl winning quarterback and hopefully the future of the New York football Jets, Aaron Rodgers, celebrating his 40th birthday today. Now, going back on deaths, talk about somebody we lost on this day. E.G. Sawamura. And you're going to say, who the hell is E.G. Sawamura? 1944, passes away at the age of 27. Killed in action, by the way, in battle during World War II. Was a Japanese Baseball Hall of Fame pitcher. Very dominant at that time. And we think of the likes of Yoshi, Yoshinobu, Yamamoto, Shohei Otani, uh, even Ichiro, Sadahara O. Oh, is probably the first one we think about, hey, what would his career have been like if he got to play in Major League Baseball? If there wasn't you know, an anti-Japanese sentiment going on in a world in the 1940s. And perhaps you can make a case it was justified. The countries are at war with each other. Pearl Harbor, December 7th. You know, the, that anniversary or that uh, remembrance of that day is just coming up in a couple dates. You understand why, but you wonder if E.G. Sawamura had a chance to pitch, let's say, eight to ten years in Major League Baseball, does he become one of the better pitchers of all time? And you say, killed in action. He was probably killed in action by uh, you know, a United States uh, Army hero. He was on the other side, but it's still... He died fighting for his country. So going back to the year of 1976, we talked we talked a little bit earlier about Major League Baseball managers, and you know, Cito Gaston was on the, the ballot, two-time World Series winning manager. Danny Murtaugh won two World Series championships as the manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. 1960-1971. He passed away on his day in 1976. And I bring that up thinking about the case that could be made for Danny Murtaugh to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Certainly on the level of Jim Leland and David Johnson and Cito Gaston and 
you know, maybe Billy Martin. I think Billy Martin would rank number one. That would be the person that I would push to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame as a manager because I believe he was the epitome of what that role represented at that time. Certainly not what it represents now, but what it did that you wanted to bring in somebody that was going to change the culture of your team, that was going to have higher demands, that was going to hold the players accountable, and the track record that he had at every place he went was those teams got better. I thought similarly about Danny Murtaugh. Now, he battled health issues that kind of had him in and out of the game. The Pirates would always go back to him, but one of the things they had in common is that when they brought Danny Murtaugh back, he brought back stability to that franchise. And he would come back another time, and they would get to the, to the uh, NLCS a couple times in the 1970s um, before he passes away. I think he managed the 1976 season, if I'm not mistaken. And I'll try to look that up as I'm finishing off this segment. But Danny Murtaugh, I think, should be part of baseball's Hall of Fame. Maybe a, a deeper discussion. Maybe one of those things that we talk about a little bit mo more down the road. And yes, he managed all the way through the 1976 season. 92-70, and 70, second place finish after two straight NL East titles and a chance to go to the NLCS. So... I don't know. Um, that, that's somebody that I think we miss in a sport and should be honored. 2014, we lost Jean Bellabeau. Hall, Hall of Fame Hockey Center, 20 years with the Montreal Canadiens. One of the greatest distinctions in the history of sport. 10-time Stanley Cup winner as a player for the Montreal Canadiens. And as an executive, won seven more Stanley Cups. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey by two ways. One passionate food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you're interested in hearing me flap my yap mouth, you can check out the podcast, Passball Show on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, videos on YouTube. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. I have many leather-bound books. My heart smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. Now they come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I can drive out of the park, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude the dude disguises another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing out. They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You're damn well right. Better give him a contract extension.
extension. You're damn well right. Better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion. <laughs>